You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast about helping online brands to build a better e-commerce growth engine with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. Well, John, welcome to a rainy spring in Oregon. I think it actually snowed my house in the end of April here. Good times. I'm leaving Hawaii. I can't wait for sunshine. (laughs) They have spring break in Oregon and it's, you know, great, but it never feels like spring. uh, No, no. Because spring spring doesn't arrive until July 4th here. (laughs) Yeah, it's insane. We were in Prasada where it snowed while we were in the pool. Outside. Ooh, mm-hmm. that actually sounds fun. It's Maybe kind of fun, tub, but then it was like pool, but... getting out of the pool back to the locker, not fun. But you have been busy on your keyboard. You've penned an article I found fairly fascinating around pulling data uh, because yeah. there's so many fun metrics you can look at analytics and get excited about or frustrated mm-hmm. about. And so many of them are worthless, but they're there. So people think they're important. And so your article is really good at like hopefully helping business owners, marketing teams understand what the fluff in analytics is that distracts you from the real stuff. And we were laughing before this about time on page and that being a metric that everybody wants to be, oh man, we got our time on page went up year over year, period over period. Isn't that exciting? I'm like, well... I mean, I could design a really confusing page for you that would keep people on there for a long time and to do nothing. <laughs> Depend, depends what you want to happen. The story I always come back to is when we had a client and they wanted us to overhaul their site, we sat down with all the leadership and they're like, we just want people to hang out on our site. <laughs> and I said, hang out. Are you trying to compete with Facebook? Like kill time. What do you What are you trying to do? I think we need a, a music player on our site so people just come and hang out. <laughs> what on are you our talking site. to MySpace? <laughs> and I seriously questioned whether they were a client we needed to be working with. And within a year, we weren't working with them anymore because it was just fundamentally they did not understand online sales. And the reality is that. They sell their products via dealer network and that dealer network, you know, was 90% of their sales and they wanted to move to online, but they were old school. They did not understand the digital ecosystem and what people wanted to do online. And that led to them not selling much online eventually. And it was, you know, like pulling teeth. And so going back to those type of experiences across 14, almost 15 years in business now, it's very easy to see who gets the metrics and who doesn't. And that was part of why I wrote this article. I I really want people to pay attention to the right data because pulling any data does not equal pulling the right data. Mm -hmm. And I even simplified on a lot of my conversations with brand owners. I'm like, if a banker is not going to get excited about this metric to give you money, Mm -hmm. that probably doesn't matter. Like, and it's most simple. You've got multiple items here that, I, you know, bankers might not be too excited about, but they're very valuable. And so I'm excited to go through a lot of these. I guess there's a three-part test of whether or not you should be paying attention to metrics. And if they pass the three-part test, I think bankers would care in the end. They might not understand it completely because they're not in it day to day, but they will understand if you clearly describe it as we're going to talk about today, why they're important, they'll get it. And Mm -hmm. the fact that you're paying attention to these is probably more telling to them than whether or not the metric is actually a positive, right? They're more concerned, are you paying attention to the right data? Because if you are, then you're going to be successful, or at least we have good odds. So we're going to give you money. And so I think it's important that you're paying attention to the right metrics. So 
Let's let's start off by talking about the three questions. Yeah, what are those three questions you ask yourself? First one, and why a banker is going to care. If this metric changed, how big would the impact be on my company? The whole point here is if it's not significant to the bottom line, it's not going to be worth your effort to monitor it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you may have other goals that you're putting metrics to that don't affect the bottom line. Maybe you want to, you know, I threw a bonus one in here at the end, a 10th we'll talk about that really isn't going to impact your bottom line, but overall it would over time. Um, and you know so maybe you have goals around customer service service customer satisfaction maybe time to response on customer inquiries things of that sort that are overall brand initiatives that that mm -hmm. will help you have a better customer experience overall but they're not really e-commerce specific metrics right but they're still valuable so i think the first thing is if you're taking a first pass at these metrics just evaluate is it significant to the bottom line and if it's not don't worry about monitoring it i think the second question is will improving this metric contribute to the strategic goals now this goes into what i was just saying but at the same point, improvement for its own sake is not enough, right? You don't want a metric that you're just like, I just know I need to improve that metric. Mm -hmm. You need to determine which of these is going to make the biggest dent in your current goals. And I think that's important. You have to have strategic alignment with these. You can't just be, well, John says I need to improve my conversion rate, so I'm going to improve it. It needs to be, why are you improving your conversion rate? And there's a lot of instances, you know, hear me out, that a brand shouldn't improve their conversion rate. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe For you need sure. to just focus on improving your average order value. Maybe you need to focus on being able to fulfill orders that you have because it's just coming in too much already. Right. Including your conversion rate is you're never going to improve all the other metrics. You're just going to hurt the other metrics. Mm -hmm. Well, um, here's a newsflash. So. You could cut all your non-brand paid traffic and your conversion rate will increase. There Guess you what? go, right? There's less sales, but hey, you got a pretty conversion rate. That's a great point. And <laughs> we're going to talk about some of that today, a couple of these metrics. The third question is, is this a metric that will also improve other metrics? You hmm. don't want to look to improve a metric in a vacuum. And that goes right to the point that you just made, right? You can improve your conversion rate by doing a lot of things. Heck, make all your products $1. Your, improvement, <laughs> your conversion rate will skyrocket. <laughs> <laughs> right. So many of these metrics are connected, Ryan. And I know you know this, but I, I think it's worth stating. Mm -hmm. Improving one just can create a domino effect and you want it to make sure it's improving in the right way. So identify those key traffic channels that improve the quality of your traffic, then work on doing sales conversions. Right. Yep. So right order matters. So the three questions, if this metric changed, how big would the impact be on my company? Will improving this metric contribute to our strategic goals? And is this a metric that will also improve other metrics? Mm -hmm. So three things to keep in mind. Yeah, a couple of things here. Get out of the box of analytics and the way it's set up. And we're all moving mm -hmm. to GA4, which I think is going to reset a lot of things for brands and how they look at data. So I think this is a phenomenal time to be talking about these important metrics. But right now, just looking at the top bar of your analytics, just because all those things are green arrows doesn't necessarily mean mm -hmm. things are good. Google put them there. That doesn't mean they're valuable. <laughs> well, they might be valuable for Google. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, what's why does Google have Google Analytics? We should all know this. Let's just be honest. Why mm -hmm. is it free? It helps you buy more ads. Yep. Right? So that's really all Google is looking to do with GA. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't have other value, but let's be honest about why Google is giving it to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've got nine metrics that you can't skip over that you've got to pay attention to as an e-commerce brand. Mm -hmm. I'm going to randomly guess. I won't even guess what it is, but I probably know what number one is. Number one for e-commerce brands, most important. <laughs> I, 
shocker to nobody, I'm going to say e-commerce conversion rate. And at the end of the day, your goal is to convert customers, right? So you really need to be paying attention to this. But I think more than telling if you're successful, your conversion rate really helps you understand if you're driving people to the right pages and the products on your site. So that's the thing to keep in mind. Are you directing traffic to the right places? That can highly influence your conversion rate. I think it's important to note that the average conversion rate, they vary drastically. Now, we've done episodes on this, a really popular one that kind of took off on social probably because of the name and it's a little in your face, but the industry benchmarks are bullshit. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's accurate. The reality is the conversion rate for selling luxury watches is certainly not going to be the same as a low price clothing retailer, right? And so just make sure you look at at those e-commerce metrics, uh, benchmarks, I should say, with a bit of side eye. And maybe don't focus on competitors at all. Just worry about your own conversion rate and do it for the right reasons. Yeah. Again, we talked about it on that podcast. Your competitor has no incentive to tell you their real conversion rate. And you don't know what their strategy is. The stories I'm sure you and I could both share about what we see publicly versus what we see when we actually dive into the data. Mm-hmm. It's a different world. And I think having a bit of skepticism is really healthy when it comes to this. Okay, number two, probably my favorite on your list. There's so mm. much you can do with this one that can impact a business so quickly. Yeah, average order value. So AOV, I think that you should be looking at more ways to drive value from the traffic you get to your site. That's where folks like Logical Position come in, right? You got to have the right traffic and then you need to have value coming out of that traffic. And one of the easiest ways to do that is increasing your AOV. Look, when you're first starting out, you're not going to get a lot of traffic. You'll likely be focused on things like cross-selling, upselling, bundling, just to make sure people get what they need and to maximize your revenue, right? But if you don't track AOV, you have no idea if it's working. Mm-hmm. So really need to be tracking AOV. Pretty simple. So far, we have conversion rate, AOV. These are things that everybody should already know about and be tracking from day one. If you're not, turn this podcast off and just start doing that. And yeah. <laughs> and if you're just starting off, there was a great article over the weekend from Nick Sharma of Sharma Brands. Oh, yeah. He sends out a Sunday mm-hmm. email that if you're not on the list, go subscribe. No yeah. incentive to send you there, but he's a phenomenal business person, launched a lot of brands. Yeah. And he talks a lot about as you're starting off and one of the metrics he focused on and gave some strategies specifically on Shopify mm-hmm. for was AOV. And it, yep. go get it. Uh, it was the yeah. April, what, 16th from Nick Sharma. <laughs> did you know that Nick wrote the intro to my... I did, yeah. You're kind did of you a big that? deal. Yeah. <laughs> You are. Uh, but yeah, Nick is Nick, he's brilliant. Nick is kind of a big deal. I he was is. I was just lucky enough to get his attention yeah. for a few I'll months grab those coattails anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you want to be a guest? You could be our first guest. <laughs> there you go. All right. Number three, customer lifetime value. I think the higher your lifetime value, the less you need to spend on acquiring new customers or the more risk you could take with that fund. That's what right? I like. So, more risk. Push harder. Yeah. Well, you can push harder. You can try new tactics. Maybe they're not risky, but you can diversify. It's probably what the better way to put that, right? Mm-hmm. So you want to develop long-lasting relationships with customers, really just for a single purpose. Avoid dumping unnecessary money into acquisition. So one of the biggest marketing mistakes you can make is to view your customer base through the lens of one sale only. Now, Ryan, you and I have talked about this a lot in mm-hmm. that one of the tactics you love is to break even on that first sale, right? So that you know you're not going to profit off that customer on the first sale, but you now have 
a marketing channel in. You have their email, you have their info, you can continue to market to them and you trust in your products enough to know that you're going to get more out of them. So it really does take that big picture approach. I think that that's what's important. It views them in a customer's in more of a lens of what they'll produce for your company over the entire course of your relationship. And that's what's important here. Mm-hmm. If you focus only on that first sale, you're unlikely to be a profitable company in the long term. Now, this one and the next one, they aren't as easy to get a number in analytics for this mm-hmm. because it's not mm-hmm. necessarily site-based. There's other systems. Right. So if you are using a very basic email, you might have to do a little export of customer data to get something like these. Mm-hmm. But there are more complex CRM slash email systems that'll help you get this number, figure out what it is for you. And also, you know, tools like Triple Whale can help you do that Mm -hmm. as well. You know, they'll help you track that and sync all of your systems together. There is a customer lifetime value built into Shopify as well. So that's there. The reality is all of them are going to give you a slightly different number, but they should be (laughs) somewhat related. Directionally close. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Ideally. Otherwise, you might have attribution issues. You're listening to Drive and Convert, a podcast focused on e-commerce growth. Your hosts are John McDonald, founder of The Good, a conversion rate optimization agency that works with e-commerce brands to help convert more of their visitors into buyers, and Ryan Garrow of Logical Position, a digital marketing agency offering pay-per-click management, search engine optimization, and website design services to brands of all sizes. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us out by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or colleague. Thank you. Okay, so customer retention rate is the next one. This is one that I don't hear mentioned very often. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right? It goes with customer lifetime value, but if you're losing these customers as quickly as you're acquiring them, there's something seriously wrong with your product or your customer relationship strategy, maybe your customer service. Right. So you really want to understand why people are leaving. Right. You want repeat customers. The reality is the metric of lifetime value is, okay. what do these people spend over the entire lifetime? A customer retention rate is can you get them to keep coming back? Maybe you have a subscription model, something of that sort, a product that is uh, consumable that you want people to continually come back and order. This metric specifically attracts the ability to retain customers. And I think that's important, right? So you're not looking at the value. You're looking at, are you retaining? So pretty quick math on this to find the customer retention rate. You subtract the number of new customers gained during a period from the number of customers at the end of that period. Okay. Then you divide that number that you had at the beginning and you multiply by 100. So we can write this down, but it's subtract the number of new customers gained from the number of customers at the end of a specific period. Right. So you take a month, you say, you know, we had 100 new customers and uh, we had 1000 overall. So that gives us 900. Right. Then you divide by the number of customers you had at the beginning. So divide by a thousand and multiply by hundred. The hundred just gives you a percentage. Right. So the metric directly correlates with customer satisfaction, loyalty, things of that sort. And I think this is an important one that I think bankers actually really care about, but they're not going to ask you for it. But if you have a good customer retention rate, you should be touting that to your funding sources. How do you look at a lost customer? Like if they're still in your database, but they haven't bought in a certain mm-hmm. period, you just have like, oh, if they haven't bought in six months, they're a gone customer at this point. 
Yeah. So let's say what I would look at is if you have a subscription product, how many people have canceled their subscription? If you know a consumable should take somebody two weeks to use or a month to use or three months, whatever it is, that should be your time period. Are they reordering within a reasonable amount of time after that period? So let's say you are selling soap or shower gel or something of that sort, body wash, Mm -hmm. right? you know that 12 ounces of body wash should generally last people a month. Now, are they ordering every, let's just say, within 45 days? If not, they probably are not coming back. Got it. Right? So you have some reasonable time frame in there for them to reorder. But if they're not, then you should probably count them, you know, if you have a consumable. This is less helpful if you have a clothing brand, something of that sort. But for consumables, subscription products, et cetera, this is key. Yep. And, you know, win back campaigns should be a piece Mm -hmm. of that, like, If this is your segment of lost customers, they go into a different bucket that gets different types of nurture emails, Mm -hmm. assuming they're still in that database that can be emailed because it's you treat them different. Like they may need steeper discounts to come back. They need more incentive potentially. And if you're a brand, I talk to so many that get all excited about their one product and don't even think about if it's not consumable, like, what do you mean? I have to have another product. Like think about the purple and the Caspers of the world that lose a disgusting amount of money on the first order. So they've got to sell pillows. They've got to sell sheets. They've got to sell mm-hmm. bed frames. They've got to sell nightstands. Like everything in the house is starting to appear on those sites now. Like they are a, mm-hmm. <laughs> a home site just because they can't make money on the product that's core to their business. Yeah. I question the business model in those cases, <laughs> but yes, you're right. Like they have to sell, right? Okay. The next one, customer acquisition costs. Now this is one you know a lot more about than I do, I'm sure. Um, but it's the total amount you will typically spend in order to bring in a new customer. It's all in the name. Some call this the startup killer, right? Because many new customers start with a really high sales and marketing spend to attract new leads. Like you said, Casper, Purple, et cetera, Mm -hmm. went through this, right? Then they end up with a relatively low number of leads that convert, which gives you a very high customer acquisition cost. I don't think this is a sustainable business model. And that's why you want to pay attention to this. Because if your customer acquisition cost is so high that you know that the customer lifetime value is never going to cover for it, then you unfortunately aren't running a profitable business. And you really need to give that a look. You know, it's one thing if you want to play the game that all those big name brands you mentioned have where they go out and they raise hundreds of millions of dollars and then they're burning through that cash just to get out there, hoping that the snowball effect will come. The reality is that works out in very few cases, Mm -hmm. very few cases. So this metric is calculated by dividing your total sales and marketing costs for a given period by the number of new customers acquired during that period. So I get the question a lot, well, which sales and marketing costs do you consider? And really all of them, mm-hmm. every dollar, every cent should should be considered. Yep, including the agency fees. Even, you have to figure that in too, if you're paying an agency. Exactly, 100%. And I say that, Ryan, because so many people look at only the costs that they are using to drive traffic. And I don't think that's accurate. I think it's brand awareness, it's social campaigns, everything you're doing, whether or not you were trying to actually convert that into a sale or just drive brand awareness, it all needs to be considered. This is a very tricky one for so many brands. If you're launching a brand, you have customer acquisition, bottom of the funnel, Google, Google Shopping, some social Mm -hmm. is in that area. And that you can track. A return on ad spend, you got a very clear acquisition cost, like, oh, my top line's red 100 per order, and I spent 50 to mm-hmm. get it, I broke even, isn't that great? Well, you also maybe had some Pinterest money branding yep. that didn't come up with any return. You can't just ignore that and think Google's working. Right. SEO, 
that goes into, you know, maybe it's the early parts of SEO that isn't driving enough traffic yet because it's not far enough down the funnel. Maybe you bought a radio ad or, or you know, you light money on fire branding, I call it. Like it's valuable, <laughs> but you don't see anything of that tangible necessarily. It's filtering down to brand traffic that's helping Google become closer to break even. So, so many complicated things going to CAC that just get ignored and companies think they're doing really good and then they get a savvy investor coming in and be like, ha, nope, uh, <laughs> you're not sustainable. And it's like in the beauty space, it's tremendously unprofitable to launch a beauty brand. Mm -hmm. Like you've got mm -hmm. to have some money behind you to get to the tipping point where your lifetime value kicks in. You start churning that snowball that's up a big enough hill. So look at this one deeper because it is often incorrect. That's what brands yeah, are reporting. I would agree with that. Again, right? It's not paying attention to your competition. I think that's going to make a big difference, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Next one. Number, what are we on? Six? Six, yes. Yeah. Shopping cart abandonment rate. So this is a big one because personally, it hurts me. And I'm sure it does all the brands we work with when potential buyers load up in their shopping cart and then abandon it before they actually complete the purchase. And there's a variety of reasons that this happens. I think we have a whole episode on this. If we don't, mm -hmm. we need to have one. I, I should add it to the list. But off the top of my head, unexpected additional fees, high shipping costs, guest checkouts not available. Maybe you're making people or register. Or it's even confusing the new Shopify checkout. Ugh. Shopify. Yeah, people were used to the old one, but mm -hmm. you know, we'll see where this ends up. But I think part of that is just having a longer checkout process. Mm -hmm. It goes beyond that single page, right? Multiple steps. Even if they're inside the same page, the less steps, the better. And I think that's where the new Shopify checkout can create some concerns. I think payment security, right? So if people are like, this isn't a secure site for a number of reasons, whether or not it has SSL, right? It could be the design is just, you know, Craigslist. I wouldn't want to give my credit card to Craigslist. Um, <laughs> Right, but nothing good but I, can come from giving your credit card to Craigslist. <laughs> right, but there are places that I would say the design is a four out of ten. Then I'm like, eh, it's trustworthy enough. I'll give them my number, and that's really all it needs to be. And then maybe it's just a horrible user experience. People just can't find what they're looking for. Right. I mean, the list could go on. That's just, you know, a handful of quick things. But in general, high card abandonment is just it's a telltale sign that something in your checkout isn't working. So first thing you should do if you see this, just do a test purchase. Mm -hmm. Right. Have your mom do a test. Purchase. What would be the red flag number for a high checkout rate? Because it, it can Ooh. vary, of course across brands but what's the one that says well Oof. that's the other thing right we've seen 50 percent for really high touch purchases and we've seen some that are less than 10 percent. so i think you know I, i'm hesitant to state a specific mm -hmm. number like usual because it really depends on your brand i think the thing that you should be looking for is that number continually going down yep. right so that's the thing to keep an eye on is can you help affect that number through all these ways we've talked about? Yep. So it's really just to spot a red flag and then know it's something you need to work on. And if there's a big change, like if yes. all of a sudden you're like, what happened to revenue? Mm -hmm. And you notice shopping cart abandonment, that's where we saw some of the Shopify issues with their new checkout. Shopping mm -hmm. cart abandonment went through the roof. We're like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And that's because... Quite honestly, I think Shopify mishandled that. They should have put a banner up in the new checkout that says, hey, this is our new checkout experience. Let us know what you think or something like that, right? Yep. But here's the problem is that they just up and changed it one day. And everybody on the internet was used to checking out with the old Shopify checkout. So when they saw the new one, they were like, whoa, this is this Something's is not stealing Shopify. information. Something's wrong. Exactly. Yep. They lost trust. 
And so that's going to happen, you know, over time. And that's why I said it's a blip. It will come back. Yeah, be it's, fine a, it's a good decision they made, so mm-hmm. I think, what they did. But it's yeah. just, oops, like you hurt yeah. a lot of brands unintentionally very yeah. quickly. You know, it's one of those where they had to rip the Band-Aid. And I think they could have done it better to not make it hurt so much. But, you know, that is what it is. Now it's too late. So hopefully yep. it improves. But continuing down the list here, return on ad spend or our favorite term, ROAS. Mm-hmm. If you don't know how much you're spending to drive new revenue, you can easily spend more than you're making. Obviously, that's a recipe for disaster. So you should track your ROAS by understanding what your revenue from advertising is. Divide that by your cost of advertising that gives you your ROAS. So let's say you spend $3,000 on pay-per-click. You determine it generates $12,000 in revenue. So $12,000 divided by $3,000 is four. That means for every dollar you spend on advertising, you're generating $4 in revenue. That's a decent return on ad spend. Maybe you would know more. Yeah, I mean, it's an all depends. If your margin's 10%, it might be terrible. There you go. (laughs) So by regularly tracking your ROAS, though, you can evaluate which campaigns are working and you can go to your board or, you know, your leadership team or anybody else and your wife, your financial partner, your husband, and just say, okay, we're going to keep investing in this, right? Because I know future advertising is going to generate an X return based on the past. And, you know, it might fluctuate here and there, but generally this is the trend we're on. So I feel comfortable continuing to invest. And that's really the goal. Number eight, channel mix metrics. So to understand how well your marketing channels are working, you should track metrics like conversion rate, abandonment, AOV on a channel by channel basis. And this is where tools like Triple Whale, et cetera, can really help, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're allowing you to do that. I feel like this is a more advanced metric. That's why it's further down the list. But I think it's important. It's important to know where good traffic is coming from. And that's really the key here. When you understand this, you can begin to examine that experience for each channel and then dive into the why behind each of the numbers. So if you're looking at maybe your conversion rates on a per channel basis, you can tell if your marketing efforts are successful and if the journey that the person's on, the visitor's on, has delivered what they want and what's been promised in that initial brand interaction. So is your ad spend on Google display ads leading to conversions? And if it's not that specific channel, maybe it needs a new message. Maybe you know they're setting a false expectation in some way that's not helping once people get to your site. So be looking at all of these by the channel is really the summary of that one. Mm-hmm. And understand too that not every channel is equal or in, a different, in the same part of the funnel. So you're going to have mm-hmm. different conversion rates between Meta and yeah. Google. And if you don't, something might be off in how you're looking at those. But just, again, you're trying to improve it over time so that channel shouldn't mm-hmm. stay static and always like be the same number like or going down. Yeah. It should be trending in the right direction. That's a great point. All right, number nine is net promoter score. So if you don't know what NPS is, basically this is a metric that you need to be tracking to analyze how good your fulfillment and your products are. It's more of a post-purchase metric, but I think it's an important one. It helps you answer, are you delivering a strong customer experience? You can also look at this via return rate and reviews on your site, but NPS is a really comprehensive way to do this and it's, it's a standard. So it really does help you to get a bank loan because banks 
folks are going to know what NPS is. So mm-hmm. An analyst should know what NPS is. If they don't, you probably don't want to take their money. Or maybe you do. Because just take just it. Giving it away. I don't <laughs> don't give them a board seat. But <laughs> <laughs> so I think this metrics less tangible than other ones included on this list, but that should not downplay its significance. So what is NPS? It's a survey that measures how likely your customers would be to recommend your products or services to a friend. Pretty simple. It's determined by sending out a survey. You send it to a sample. You don't have to send it to everybody, but ask them how likely they would be to recommend your brand on a scale of one to 10, all right? So customers that respond with a nine or 10 are referred to as promoters, net promoters. Seven or eight are considered neutral. Like that's good, but you know, they're not detractors. Anything below a seven is a detractor right? That's somebody who probably not going to promote you that well. Or if they do, they're going to be like, yeah, you know, I I bought something, but it took like six weeks for it to arrive, right? So they're going to end that recommendation with a negative, which is really a detraction. So calculate this by simply uh, subtracting the percentage of detractors from the percentage of promoters, right? That's going to give you your net promoter score. This is a big metric that most marketers are going to know, but in e-commerce, I don't see it used enough. There are Hotjar, et cetera. There's a couple other survey tools that this is a templated survey they offer, right? So most of those survey tools have made it super easy. Have you done any NPS before? I've not. We've done it at Logical Position over the years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if we've done yeah. one recently in the last year or two, but... It's an it's been an important metric, and I'm guessing we'll do one this year. And yeah. even subsetting our customer base, because mm-hmm. if you if you have different markets, like in our business, for example, we have enterprise clients that are generally the larger mm-hmm. brands, spending more money than we have SMBs that are usually smaller local businesses, and those have different account styles, different management styles, mm-hmm. and so understanding inside our book what is an NPS of enterprise versus this. So anytime you have different account teams or different strategies involved it'd be important to look at that differently in your client base to figure out if certain products or certain styles of customer support are impacting that differently than other parts mm-hmm. of the business. Yeah. Yeah. And really this data takes on a life when you do it year over year, quarter over mm-hmm. quarter, et cetera, right? Having just one time snapshot is helpful, but it's much more helpful when you can plot a trend because it is something you want to work on improving. So, yep. all right. So we have a bonus You've one got here. A bonus. I like um, it. Love bonuses. <laughs> Let's, uh, you know, let's just turn into a, a long episode, but I think these are all important. But a bonus one is first touch. So what is that first touch point? It's not really a metric, and that's why it's a bonus on this list, but I think it's something that you need to understand that, that really tells you what is working and what's not to help drive traffic to your site. So attribution is key here. There's a lot of models out there. I've said Triple Whale's name three or four times. Just I like saying that name. It's fun. But just consider a post-purchase survey to better understand that first touch point customers had with your business. Too many brands don't do this and it's so easy. There's so many plugins for Shopify that have this. Just Mm -hmm. add one. They're super cheap. The data is way more than whatever you're paying to have that little post-purchase survey there. And just ask how they hear about you in the first place. That's all you need to know. And that will help you understand where customers are coming from. We just did a huge quarter project here at The Good around this to understand exactly where we're getting new customers from. And it was super enlightening. And it has had a big effect on where we market and invest money there. So yeah, all in all, 10 metrics now that you should be looking at, I think are really important. Yeah, and Um, and I note on that survey, especially what we found out accidentally was had a client start doing this at our request to help solve some of their top of funnel issues. And they had been advertising on TikTok, thought it was hot garbage. I'm like, hey, it's not working. Why are we spending money here? Stop. Did a post-purchase survey, found out so many of their new customers had first heard about them on TikTok. It's not Mm. a conversion channel. You don't usually leave TikTok because you're 
enjoying the entertainment of scrolling through and seeing everything, but you pay attention to those ads there and new suggestions for content blew our team away because we're always looking at that, you know, analytics. We're not seeing anything coming from TikTok, but Mm -hmm. we've got to figure out if it's working because you've invested a good amount in your organic traffic and ads. So if you're spending on TikTok, you better get some post-purchase survey to see if it's actually having an impact on other channels because it likely is and it'll help surprise you. That's a great use of it. Well, Ryan, all in all, uh, hopefully people start tracking the right metrics, not just metrics for the heck of it. I think there's such a thing we don't have time to really dive into, but as tracking too many metrics and having all these dashboards with like 30 different charts on it, really start at the top of the list we talked about today and work your way down and you know start to be familiar with them. Paying attention to these metrics is going to get you a lot further than than not, but don't track 30 metrics. Just start with a handful here. Don't be overwhelmed. And then look at them every day, once a week. Just have a consistency to reviewing these so you have a good idea of where things are at and what the trend lines look like and what actions are going to impact those. Yep. If you make changes, because you've got to change things to expect results to be different. I and mean, if you're doing the same thing and you expect your metrics just to change for no reason, like I don't know yep. why you're doing that, but notate your changes in analytics so you can go back mm. and see what the changes are. And Don will tell you, you can't change everything all at once or you don't know what had the impact. So make a change, yeah. measure the impacts for a couple of weeks. If you're smaller, you're not going to get, you know, the enough data to really prove it for sure. But as a business owner, you're going to have a gut feeling that's going to, ha- that's valuable to say, yeah. I believe that change did have a positive impact. We're going to keep that and we're going to go take the next change. But tracking, if you're not tracking, you can't improve them. So yep. take John's That's advice. Just well start. said. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, I appreciate the chat today. Thanks for listening to Drive and Convert with John McDonald and Ryan Garrow. To keep up to date with new episodes, you can subscribe at driveandconvert.com.